open up a Bible to uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians. We're going to read the text, and then we're going to go verse by verse, the first ten, chapter, or first ten verses rather, of Ephesians chapter 2. I love my mom. Think about your mom, like growing up, and the comfort she gave you, and the encouragement she gave you, and moms are the bomb. Blessed to be a son. So, children, all of y'all, we're all children, right? Show honor to your mother today, and just let that be a pattern of showing her honor each and every day, okay? All of us, let's honor our moms and our dads. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we've studied through chapter 1 of Ephesians, and we've come to understand and realize through the teaching of Paul that you were chosen before the foundation of the earth. You were predestined. That God has bestowed His love upon us, upon you, believer. That you're adopted into the family of God. That you've been redeemed. That you've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. We studied through those first verses there through 14, and we understand that these are such deep, deep spiritual truths that Paul stops in verse 15, and he prays that the church of Ephesus, he prays that we will understand all that we have in Christ. And we studied last week and we realized and understand that in Christ, this is your position. Perfect positional righteousness because of the righteousness of Christ which is placed on your account as a believer. We learned last week that position is unchanging for the true believer. When we stumble in our practice, it does nothing to lower our position. What we left in the exhortation that we left with last week is understand your position and make your life and the practice, if you will, match your position. We're living from our position. We're not trying to gain position in Christ as believers. It's been done. It is finished. Christ fulfilled. The, the, the atonement is complete by His death in the life of His resurrection. You are completely forgiven as a believer, cleansed, purified. You are as holy in the sight of God as Jesus Himself because it's not your righteousness. That's positional righteousness by the imputed righteousness of Christ. All His righteousness placed on your account. How perfect is that righteousness? It's flawless, amen? 
That's how he sees you. Therefore, we ought to live from that position. We ought to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, as we'll see when we finally get to chapter 4. In other words, live a life that matches your position in response to all that he's done. Positional righteousness, very important. It's the most important thing that any believer must understand as he comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Very, very important. Today we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And chapter 2 describes the process of salvation, the miracle of salvation. So we say, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have Christ? Paul explains it in the first 10 verses of chapter 2. What it means to be saved. If you remember in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, we saw the power of the resurrection and the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in you and available to you. That's why Paul prayed. Not that you would receive all the things of chapter 1, but that we would understand that we already have them. Power revealed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ imparted to you, imparted to me, to be lived out. His power. Holy Spirit power. And we're going to see an example of a resurrected life today in chapter 2. Out of the grave and into life. That's where he brought you because before you were in Christ, you were dead. Spiritually dead. And we're going to realize and understand today that though you're born physically, we're obviously all born physically. We're here today together, amen? And we're still alive. If you're not in Christ, you're spiritually dead. That's the way we're born, spiritually dead, separated from God relationally, dead. If you're a believer here today, you've been made alive in Christ. And we rejoice having been made alive in Christ. So we look at verse 1 of chapter 2, look what it says. <clears throat> and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead. A sinner outside of Christ is dead. If you're outside of Christ today, you don't have a relationship with Him, you're spiritually dead. As a believer, we have been brought into life, made alive in Christ. No longer spiritually dead. We're alive to who He is. We're alive to what He's done. We're alive to His Word because His Word is living and active. We now have been, the veil has been lifted. We have understanding of His truth. And we've stepped into an everlasting union and a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you were dead. That's our past. He made us alive. You know, a physically dead body has no ability to respond to anything. Can I get an amen? Yeah. We know that. That's pretty basic. That's kindergarten stuff, right? A physical dead body, physically dead bodily, has no ability to respond. It has no desire for food, no desire for water, nor any desire or ability to respond. I was at my uh, grandfather's funeral a couple of years ago, and he had deserted my grandmother and my mother, along with my uncle, 45 years ago. <clears throat> we had no idea where he was. I'd never met him until I saw him in his casket. I performed the ceremony. And I remember my grandmother standing over the casket, looking at him, having not seen him for 45 years. And she was talking about how much of a liar he was and deceiver. She, she was telling these little stories about these grand lies he used to make going all the way back to World War II. And I'm just listening, you know, and I was so blessed that there was that closure. That it was a miracle how we found out. It was such closure for my grandmother, my mother, and my uncle. <clears throat> but one thing that my grandfather did not do, when my 
grandmother was basically reminiscing of all this guy's lies and deception, he did not sit up in the casket to defend himself. He had no faculties in which to be able to do that. Totally unresponsive. Physically dead to the world. Dead. Such is the life of the inner man. When you are born physically on this earth, you are spiritually dead to the things of God. Unresponsive even to the love of God that screams out. Even dead in, in, in response to God as he's revealed himself through creation. The Bible says that every human being is without excuse. And we are dead to that reality. Dead is what you were, believer. Past tense, by the way, amen? We were dead, past tense. Spiritual faculties, just like this. Nothing there. Nobody home. Dead to the things of God. In, in the Bible, death basically means separation. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, The body without the spirit is dead. Okay, obviously, physically dead. This is a shell. The real you is inside of this tent. This body is going to the grave. The real you is inside of this body. When you die, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So either your judgment has been paid for in Christ, and you're perfectly righteous, and you'll be with him forever, or you will have to pay for your own sin, which is eternal separation from God, because of that spiritual deadness. Not only are we physically dead without the Spirit, we're also dead spiritually in relationship to God. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have separated from your... I'm sorry. Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. It's not that He can't, it's that He won't. There's no relationship there. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 13, He said, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see... And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. You know, some are dead to the message of God. There's some in this room, I'm sure, that are dead to the message today. Dead to it. Don't care about it. Spiritually dead. Unresponsive to divine truth that's being communicated as God's communicated through His Word. People go to church year after year, week after week, spiritually dead to the things of God. The unbeliever is not sick. The unbeliever is dead. The, the non-believer does not need to be resuscitated. He must be resurrected. Resurrected. If you're a believer here today, you know you've been, res you've been resurrected from the dead and into life in Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. And the thing is, that is our nature, ladies and gentlemen. We are born with a nature that is sinful. That's our nature. A dog is a dog by a dog's nature is that of a dog because he's a dog, right? Last Sunday afternoon after church, I was at home. I was sitting at my desk, and as I sit at my desk, just to the left of me is the whole the front window of a house. My daughter, and my wife went out to run some errands, and they took our little five-month-old puppy with them, which is getting big and clumsy now, so it's not so little. But they went out to run some errands. They, I don't know, they were probably gone an hour. <clears throat> I hear him pull in. I see him pull in. I hear him open the door. And I notice out of the corner of my eye that the dog runs out of the garage and goes to the tree for a sniff. She's sniffing around, right? My daughter comes out and watches him. All of a sudden, the dog goes down to the neighbor's house to sniff the hydrant. 
Then it goes across the street to sniff something over there, and then my daughter's getting a little upset, calling, bidding the dog to come back. The dog's totally ignoring her, going further and further down the street. One tree to the next. Sniff, 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 right? So then my wife comes out. She's a little frantic because the dog's getting further away, and I see that this is getting out of hand. So I come out, and I thought I'd use my authoritative voice and call the dog back. No response. One just sniffing. It was being led by its snout. Right? The very nature of the dog. Just one scent to the next all the way down the street. Finally, I get on my bicycle. We go. I pull her by the leash. We get her back. Or by the collar thing. We get her back home. Sinners behave like sinners because that is our nature. Before Christ, the nature of a human being is that of sin. It's a sinful nature. And we do, or we used to do, that which pleased that nature. Running from God. A sniff here. A sniff here. A sniff there. Right? Running from the Lord. A sniff at drugs. A sniff of fornication. A sniff of a life without accountability. A sniff of a life of just total freedom to do that which we want to do with no accountability to God and no accountability to those who profess God, even though we may profess God. Many people grow up professing Christ, but are dead, spiritually dead. Just running, doing the very things that their nature cries out for. And you know what it is? To feed the flesh. Desires that are contrary to who God is. First Timothy 5, 6 says, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And the sinner's nature is to please self. That's what we were. Chapter 2, verse 1. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, you see. It's important to understand that we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Right? Very important. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because that's our nature. The reason we sin is because it's in our nature to do that before Christ. We're just given to it. We're given to feeding self. Listen to this. Psalm 51.5. By the way, in your outline, there's little, little amounts for writing room, but it's basically to write down cross-references of Scripture so you can study when you go home this week. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. You know, we're all born liars. Babies, is, you know, there's some babies in here today as cute as can be. They're born liars. Sorry, you were all born a liar just like me. Think about this. You can have an infant. Cleaned, loved. Perfect loving home, perfect loving relationship with the mom and dad, brothers and sisters, whatever. Fed, cleaned, right? Loved, attention paid to the baby. You put the baby to bed because it's simply time to go to bed and he screams out in rebellion because he just wants the comfort or whatever, right? You might disagree with that. Think about this. Toddlers. Look at a couple toddlers once. I was watching a couple, like, one-and-a-half-year-olds playing together in a room. They, had, they have no concept or idea that they're being watched, right? So a toddler wants the toy in this one's hands, takes it out of his hands, clobbers them on the head with it, right? I see it and say, hey, right? Well, you know what they do? They drop the toy, take a step back, and put their hand behind their back. 
How do they know how to do that? That's a lie. Hiding the hand of iniquity right there. That's a lie. The very nature of that child is sinful. That's a sin nature that every human being is born with. Dead in trespasses and sins. You know, you take that dog of mine, we also have a tortoise that's supposed to live to be 120 years old, and I'll have to leave it in my will, right? <clears throat> if you take that dog of mine and give it the nature of a tortoise, the behavior of that dog's going to totally change. Amen? I will not have to worry about chasing it down the street. It will hibernate for six months out of the year. And I just got to throw it a little lettuce now and again and eat grass. It'll be fine. It'll live long. Never rebel. It'll just waddle around in the backyard and bury itself in the sand at night when it gets cold, and that's it. Totally different nature. Sinner. Your nature was given to sin. You were dead in trespasses and sin. If you're in Christ, you've been given a what? A new nature. That's why your life is so radically different, believer. Because you've been given a new nature. If you're outside of Christ, your nature remains the same, you see. You've been given a new nature. Life changes. You know, lost sinners, as you may have when you were lost, you have a misconception of sin. They look at sin as more of the things that we do or the things that we've done, right? What we do or what we've done, that's how we see sin. That's why so many people think they're good people. You share the gospel with them and you share the fact, that the bad news first, that we're all sinful and we miss God's perfect standard and we're bound for hell, right? Well, well I'm a good person, they say. But I'm, I'm a good guy. And who are they comparing themselves to? Someone worse, right? <laughs> They're basically comparing their outward behavior perhaps to a pedophile or a murderer or a thief or a robber, right? It doesn't change the fact that they have a sinful nature. You could take a room full of dead bodies, physically dead. One, a body in there that is, uh, let's say, 15 days in the room, is going to stink much more than a body that's been laying there for three hours, right? Will stink more than one that's been laying there for 15 minutes. And you get one who's just half skeleton is going to stink worse than them all, right? It's just, just this physical decay, and the amount of physical decay that determines the stench. Human beings all have a sinful nature. It's just that some some of their behaviors are just much more obvious than those who aren't murderers or pedophiles or fill-in-the-blank. But that doesn't change the fact that all have a nature that is sinful. All have a nature. You know, these people who say they're good enough, but I'm a good person. I use the illustration of, well, God's standard is that of perfection, and that standard has to be met. So I use the old illustration of, like, jumping the Grand Canyon, right? I say, look... I go to the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's a mile deep and a mile wide, whatever it is, and I'm going to get a head start, I can run as fast as I want, as hard as I want, as long as I want, and I can jump out and attempt to bridge the gap and land on the other side, right? Okay, I'm 41, I'm not in that great of shape anymore, but I'm going to jump out and I'm going to probably jump 10 feet and guess where I'm going? Straight down. I played football with Brandon a few weeks ago and he's younger than me, a little better shape, just a little. He's going to run out and he's going to jump, what did I say, 10 feet? Okay, he's going to jump 15. 
Then I'll go get my friend who played eight years in the NFL. He's still in great shape, world-class speed. He's going to run, and he's going to jump 20 feet. But we're all going to end up at the bottom. Amen? Nobody is good enough to meet the standard of perfection of holiness that God has set up. See, God doesn't look at sin being dead in trespasses and sins in what you've done or what you're doing. It's more of what hasn't been done. You know what hasn't been done? To meet His place of glory. All of, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. The standard's perfection, people. The standard is absolute flawless perfection, not only in action, in word, and in deed, but also in thinking. So, who's born with a sinful nature? Everybody. All of sin and falls short of the glory of God, right? So it's more of what we don't do. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 says, It is written, Be holy, for I am holy. It's a failure to meet the standard of perfected glory. God's glory. So, not living up to His standard of glory is equivalent to not believing. It's unbelief. It's unbelief that doesn't meet the standard. John 16.8 says, Jesus is speaking of sending the Holy Spirit of, of who indwells all of you as believers. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He said this, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in Me. You see, non-believers are walking in their deadness. Believer, you used to walk in your deadness. You've been made alive. Because look at verse 2. Ephesians 2.2. 2. Okay, we, we read that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Trespasses means to trip, stumble, or fall. And sin is, is a hunting term, which means to miss a target. That target is perfection. Verse 2. In which you what? Once walked, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. See, the, no, the, the true believer no longer walks according to the course of the world. There's three enemies that you all face. The world, right? The flesh, and the devil. Okay? You have the world system, which is contrary to Christ. You have the world system, which is an anti-Christ spirit, an anti-Christ mindset. Your own flesh and my flesh. And then the devil who tries to manipulate those two. The world system and your flesh to submit to the world system, which is contrary to Christ. For the believer, Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, Jesus Christ was not of this world, and if you're in Him, you're not of this world either. Mark this, John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Notice they and I am, right? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Therefore, those who are in me are just as I am. You understand your position, amen? Okay? So let's... We need to move our practice by not being conformed to the world system. Because those outside of Christ are already conformed to it. They're just gripped in it. See, the unsaved person is either consciously or unconsciously controlled by this very world system, which is controlled by the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. And this is where we used to once walk, past tense, where we once walked. 
You know this word, here we have the prince of the power of the air. Air is more than this invisible realm, right? Because as we get to Ephesians 6, we're going to realize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and forces of evil in heavenly places. Okay? Unseen places. This, this air is also, check this out, it's the realm of ideas. It's the realm of philosophies that are contrary to Christ. Attitudes. Religion. Politics that are contrary to Christ. Vicarious living through Hollywood. Hollywood has a grip on America. You go to a third world country and you don't even see it. And Satan will operate in a different manner there. Anything to keep people's attention off truth. He'll elevate a rock over there. You can go worship a rock in a third world country and the devil may elevate it. and Just enough to keep people focused on the rock and keep them away from the truth, right? Hollywood does a masterful job of keeping people's eyes off of the truth. They suck people into the world system, you see. This is the way we used to once walk, you see. Attitudes, philosophies, to draw people away, guys, into opposition of God. To draw people and suck people into opposition to God. That's the bottom line. It's kind of like you, you raise your kids in a godly home. You know, no parent's perfect, but you raise your kids with the truth. You live out the truth. You pour into them the truth. And all of a sudden, one day, you're talking about things of the God, and this is, here's what you get. A rolling of the eyes to begin with. And then their life becomes to be influenced by the desires of the flesh. The devil's drawn them away from the truth and right into a world system of thinking, you see? And then he, boom, he's got them. He's got them. And then they are in opposition to God, and the rebellion is a rebellion against God alone, period. Now, that rebellion may show up with relationships, like with parents, but ultimately the rebellion is against God, period. And if before you were in Christ and I was in Christ, we were in rebellion against God, given to our flesh, given to this world system, if you're in Christ, that's what he delivered us from, you see. We were dead in trespasses and sins, given to this world system because our flesh cries out for it, to please self. To please self. And then these kids get suckered right into a, 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 a realm of thinking that's absolutely contrary to Christ. And they think, and we perhaps have thought that Intellectual understanding of Christ is enough. And it's not. And it never will be. We talk about the depraved. You hear about the morally depraved. When you hear the word depraved or, you know, the depravity of man, what it's not saying is that depraved people can't do good. Right? Or they're only given to given to do evil, period. Because they can do good. Jesus even said... Even the evil know how to do good to one another. Even the lost know how to do well to one another, right? See, depravity is, simply means that you are totally and completely incapable of doing anything to earn salvation. There's no good amount of work that you can do to earn salvation. Nothing. We'll see that in a minute. So by deed, look at what we were. 
We were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He's still at work, working in and through those who are separated from him and have a nature that is contrary to Christ. Now, we all lived and conducted ourselves in this manner. Amen? Okay? Even if you came to faith as a child, remember the hand of iniquity that you hid behind your hand? That's part of your nature. So you may have come to faith in Christ as a child, but the result was that Christ worked in you to transform that nature and you take on his nature. Look at John chapter 3. Go Turn to John 3. A verse that I bet almost everyone knows in here. Beginning at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. It's those who believe who are uncondemned. See, the world, you guys, is condemned because of unbelief. We were condemned. Born that way, because of the nature. Condemned outside of the family of God. And it's only by his grace that he brought you in. As we saw all through chapter 1. This word practicing, verse 20, for everyone practicing evil, is to perform repeatedly and habitually. It's a lifestyle or mindset that is in opposition to God. They hate the light. They do not come to the light, lest the deed should be exposed. That's just simply responding to the flesh and its strong desires. Driven to fulfill the passions of a fallen nature. That's what we were. See, if you ever get puffed up in your Christianity, you begin to look down at other people, right? Especially the lost. Go back to chapter 2 of Ephesians, which will take you right back to an understanding of what you and I were. This is what we were. This is what he's brought us out of, you see. Amen? I'm so thankful for his grace. So thankful for his grace. Putrid, wretched sinner saved by grace. But those outside of, craft, outside of Christ are a child of wrath, just as we once were, you know? See, the, the actions of a person lost and the actions of you who before you were in Christ are simply because the appetites of that individual are sinful because of the nature. The sinful nature produces an appetite that desires the things that are contrary to God, to feed and please self, to feed and please the flesh. Okay? 
This is what we were. Okay, let me read verse 1 again. You who made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You and I used to be just as the rest of this world is now, who's outside of Christ. It's a walking graveyard out there. Spiritually dead men and women. Look at this, verse 4. But, but what? Here's the sigh of relief. But what? But God. The focus is off a of man now, and now it's on God. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. This is his mercy for the sinner, this is his mercy for the lost. You know, Jonah 2.9 says salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. This is where we now live. We just saw where we used to live. Amen? As believers, this is where we now live. Because of His mercy, brought in, cleansed. We're not saved by God's love. Check it out. We're saved by His mercy and His grace. Okay? We're saved by His mercy and His grace. Mercy is the fact that He does not give us what we do deserve, right? Because we deserve hell and separation from God. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Remember your position in Christ, His righteousness imparted to you? We don't deserve that. That's grace. But it's all a product, mercy and grace, of His love. We're saved by His mercy. We're saved by His grace because of His love. That's who you are now, believer. That's who you are now. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This is the life-breathing force that resurrects the dead into a walking, spiritually living new creature in Christ. That's who you are now. He breathed life into you. He breathed life into me. He resurrects the dead into spiritual vessels for His glory, you see? Raising you out of deadness and sin. Then, what comes alive, guys? You know what happens the day you became a believer? The veil was lifted, amen? The veil was lifted for understanding of who God is and who you are in Him and understanding of His living, active Word. That's regeneration. Okay, get this word. Regeneration. Regeneration means new birth. A new beginning. To be born again. It's a Genesis experience, amen? A new beginning. It's a new life. Spiritual birth. That communication of life is through two things. The word of truth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the life-breathing force of God the Holy Spirit, who indwells you and me. That's who you now are. Very important to understand. Titus 3 says this, verse 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal salvation. A little story here. There's a number of atheists that came together. They wanted to criticize the Bible. So one of them took of his, his subject, the creation of man. This is what he said. 
He came with scorn and, and contempt, and he said, What man with any common sense could believe that several thousand years ago, God stooped down, picked up a piece of mud in his hand, and breathing on it, changed it into a man? And all of his little cohorts with him said, Yeah, that's absurd. So a Christian man read this statement, and he said this, You might ask me many questions about the creation of man, which I could not answer. But there is one thing I know. God stooped down one night and picked up the dirtiest piece of mud in town and he breathed upon it by his spirit. And from that very moment, it was newly created, changed from a gambling, drinking, thieving wretch into a man of God. For 23 years, that changed bit of mud has never gambled, drunk, or thieved. And I was that bit of mud. It is easy to raise up cheap sneers at the Bible, but it's not so easy to answer such a changed life as mine. Against all scoffing sneers of unbelief, there stands the challenge of a changed life. So, believer, I ask you, does your changed life challenge the thinking of critics and skeptics? Or does your life blend in with the nature of lost people? See, as believers, we've got to keep ourselves in check and understand and remember who we are so that we properly represent them in the world that is the spirit of disobedience. And I know everyone wants to say amen to that. You know, in, in the four gospel accounts, we, we read of Jesus raising three people from the dead. The widow's son in Luke 7, Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, and Lazarus in, in Luke 11. In each case, you know what he did? He spoke his word. That's, we're, given to, we're given to teaching the Bible here because the Word is powerful. It's the Word that transforms your thinking. It's not going to be any cat up here trying to give you his philosophy and his... And that's why I don't give you my opinion. We're going to give you the truth because it's living and it's active. It's what's going to transform the lives of people. And it's going to build those who are in Christ up in the faith. He spoke the Word and it brought forth life. The resurrections in the New Testament and the Gospels are simply a picture of God raising us out of spiritual deadness and into life. He doesn't leave you in the graveyard, amen? Okay, He didn't leave Lazarus in the graveyard because the next day he was eating and dining with Christ. He's not going to leave you in the graveyard either. See, it's salvation is much more than just getting saved. He takes the grave clothes off, he moves you into fellowship with him, into union with him that's everlasting. And he continually conforms you to the image of himself. That's power. Hebrews 4.12 says this. You might want to mark this down. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Can't fool God, bottom line. Now, the word of God is going to be comforting. And it's going to be nourishing to those who believe. Amen? Comforting and nourishing. And it's going to be a tool of judgment to those who do not commit themselves to Jesus Christ. That is just simply the Word of God. We're going to be judged. See, many of the Hebrews, that's out of Hebrews chapter 4, many of the Hebrews intellectually embraced Christ, intellectually embraced the gospel in all that he did, that he was the fulfillment as the high priest. He was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament pictures and foreshadowings. But they came about like this, right up on the edge. And many of them left it right here, guys. Intellectual understanding. That was it. Intellectual understanding. Going through the motions. 
sitting in church week after week after week after week. And by the way, if you're a non-believer and you've been in church, you are accountable for what you know. Ow. Accountable for what you know. The Word of God will expose shallow beliefs. It will expose false intentions. But it will also breathe, by the power of the Holy Spirit, new life into you, which it has as a believer. New life in Christ. He raised us up together. Look at verse 6. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You already have a seat in heaven. Believers already have a seat in the heavenlies. The Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is where? Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. We rejoice over the fact that your citizenship is in heaven. We're sojourners, we've learned over the weeks. We're passing through with a great message and a great life that represents our position. Amen? That's what we want to reveal. He raised us up. And the Word wrought life by the power of the Holy Spirit right into you and right into me. Made alive, dead in the world. He doesn't leave you. Perfect position in Christ. Look at verse 7, what we will be. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come. Ages to come, they begin the moment you get saved. The moment you get saved. We have an inheritance, a godly inheritance, amen? We've learned it over the weeks. You have an inheritance. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back as a slave, brought into the family of God, adopted in, chosen. What a blessing. Salvation is a gift. It's not a reward. You don't earn your salvation. It's a gift. Grace means getting what you don't deserve. Salvation is trust in the Creator. Salvation is not an intellectual understanding. Salvation is this, you guys. It's a transfer of trust to the Lordship of Christ. That's salvation. Life is birthed in. This is what happens. It's union. We were lost. Lost. There'll be people who teach in seminaries that'll be in hell. The very Pharisees that had all the understanding and knowledge of who God was, they were supposed to properly represent Him and lead the people to Him. He said, greater will your condemnation be. Based on what? Their knowledge. Their knowledge. He brought us out. See, if, remember we've gone through these weeks and we see that salvation is for the glory of God. There's nothing greater that glorifies God than salvation. It's all for His glory. It's all for His glory. Some people have a problem with God wanting to receive all the glory. That's a problem for the person who believes that it's a problem that God wants all the glory. Right? Because your thinking needs to be changed. Even if you're a Christian, you've got a problem with like, why does God get all the glory? What about me? Your thinking needs to be changed, right? Our thinking needs to be changed and conformed into his thinking, right? As we submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. Remember Isaiah? We talked about this last week. Isaiah saw the holiness of God, the very presence of God. The doorposts were shaken. He fell on his face. You know what he said? Woe is me, for I am undone. Unraveled. Coming, to, coming apart at the seams, right? You know what he said? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My eyes have seen Him. Now, with Isaiah 6, I want to read you a little something 
out of the classic book, The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, which will be for sale here in a couple weeks. Check this out. If ever there was a man of integrity, it was Isaiah. He was a whole man, a together type of fellow. He was considered by his contemporaries as the most righteous man in the nation. He was respected as a paragon of virtue. And then he caught one sudden glimpse of a holy God. And in that single moment, all of his self-esteem was shattered. In a brief second, he was exposed, made naked beneath the gaze of the absolute standard of holiness. As long as Isaiah could compare himself to other mortals, he was able to sustain a lofty opinion of his own character. The instant he measured himself by the ultimate standard, he was destroyed. Morally, spiritually annihilated. He was undone. He came apart. His sense of integrity collapsed. The sudden realization of ruin was linked to Isaiah's mouth. He cried, I'm a man of unclean lips. Strange. We might have expected him to say, I'm a man of unclean habits. I'm a man of unclean thoughts. Instead, he called attention immediately to his mouth. In effect, he said, I have a dirty mouth. Why this focus on his mouth, Sproul says? Perhaps a clue to Isaiah's utterance may be found in the words of Jesus when he said, it's not what goes into people's mouths that defile them. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles them. Or we could also look at the discourse on the tongue written by James, the Lord's brother, in James chapter 3. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers... This should not be. Sproul goes on to say, Isaiah was groveling on the floor. Every nerve fiber in his body was trembling. He was looking for a place to hide, praying that somehow the earth would cover him or the roof of the temple would fall upon him. Anything to get him out from under the holy gaze of God. But there was nowhere to hide. He was naked and alone before God. Unlike Adam, Isaiah had no Eve to comfort him, no fig leaves to conceal him. He was a pure, in pure moral anguish. The kind that rips out the heart of man and tears his soul to pieces. Guilt, 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 res relentless guilt screamed from his every pore. Check it out. The holy God, though, is also a God of grace. Grace. He refused to allow his servant to continue on his belly without comfort. He took immediate steps to cleanse the man and restored his soul. Remember, he sends the angel out, takes a coal with the tongs and puts it on his lips and sears his lips. Cleanses him, purifies him. See, Isaiah was in mourning for his sin, overcome with moral grief, and God sent an angel to heal him. That's where you and I were. That's what he's brought us out of. Grace, the holy, righteous standard of God, saved by grace. See, believing the gift, receiving the gift, makes you alive in Christ. And if you've received the gift, you've been made alive in Christ. It's no longer who you who live, but Christ who lives in you. John 17, Jesus said this, I have finished the work. John 19, verse 30, Jesus hanging on the cross in his gasping last breath. He said, it is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Look at verse 8. 
Because it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's His grace. Oh yeah, He has a standard of holiness. You'll never meet it. You've never been able to meet it. I'll never be able to meet it. Christ has met it. That's why your position is here, you see. You've been saved by grace. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you think you can boast, think about the story you just heard about Isaiah. He had nothing to stand on. His reputation crushed in the very presence of a holy, perfect, righteous, almighty, eternal, everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He's the one that reached out to you and brought you in. Don't resist him if you don't know him. The more you resist him, the more callous you become. The harder you run, the longer you run, the more callous your feet become. You don't know what you're standing in, and you don't know where you're headed to. Numb. Dumb. Produces a hardened heart. He broke through your hardened heart. He broke through my hardened heart. Because of what? G word, let's say it. Grace. 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 Saying some prayer and receiving His grace. Say, yeah, I'm a Christian. It doesn't end there. Right? It doesn't end there. We know it's not of works lest anyone should boast, but look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk, what? In them. See, works are a result of salvation. Works. It's a life that brings glory and honor to God because of the one that brought you out of the pit of hell and death. Deadness. Out of the grave, into life. We've been brought out of the grave into life. So we're his workmanship. True, true faith manifests Christ's likeness. Amen? It manifests Christ's likeness. Workmanship means that you're a manufactured product. Okay? And being manufactured. So, remember last week's message. Here's your position. Even though your practice doesn't always line up, all of us, by the way, understand, man, he's begun a work in you that he's going to be faithful to continue. Okay? Your position doesn't come down here when you trip and stumble. Your position remains. Keep pushing on, amen? Because he's working in. He's conforming you to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. You're a masterpiece. Believer, check it out. You're a masterpiece which he's not done with yet. Conforming you into the image of the master. A masterpiece. Pieces of dirt. Life breathed into it to reflect the glorious image of his son, Jesus Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, a true Christian works out, check it out, a true Christian works out what he's already worked in. Who worked in the salvation? He did. There's some people who get in this legalistic mindset and they think because they have attendance or they've been baptized, baptism doesn't save, attendance doesn't save, giving doesn't save, it's God's grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ that saves and trust in Him and Him alone. He works it in. And then we work out what He's worked in. Some people get frustrated because they're trying to work out something that's never been worked in. Right? They're trying to work to find favor in the sight of God. No. 
We work from salvation. We work from grace. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's interesting. Look at works. Contrast verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good what? Works. Okay? These works are good works because they reflect the master, Christ. Look at verse 2. Go back to verse 2. Okay, we are dead in trespasses and sin, and once you work, once walked in, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Christ's work is good works. It's works, just a life that reflects his goodness and his grace. If you're given to this world system, you're working out the works of evil that the Satan is the author of. It's that simple. It's that simple. His works are no good. His works are evil. Christ is good because he's God. And God is good. And God did so love the world, he gave his only begotten son, you see. You received his grace. Therefore, like Isaiah, he picked you up off the floor of depravity. And he breathed life into you. We come here to get equipped and edified in the truth to transform our thinking to his. You'll always hear me talking about thinking, not emotion, thinking. Thinking needs to change. Thinking, believer needs to change. Non-believer, your nature is unchanged until you submit yourself to the authority of the one who came to give you life. Intellectual understanding of what Christ has done will not get you in. You'll just be held more accountable for what you know. It's that simple. So, believer, I want to encourage you today. Work out what he's worked in, because you have resurrection power to do it. To no longer work or live according to the prince of the power of the air. Don't lend yourself to his lies. Amen? Don't lend yourself to the world system. Simply be salt and light in the midst of the world system. Let's pray. I'm going to ask that you just stay through the song, if you would. And I want you to really focus now. Believers, let's pray in thanks for what he's done. I want to lead us in a prayer. Father, we are grateful for your loving kindness to us, which has breathed life into our very rebellious souls. The life-giving Spirit, you almighty God, have raised us from spiritual deadness, You've resurrected us, Lord, from being a walking dead man, from being a walking dead woman, and into life in Christ. And, Lord, I pray for every man and woman in here who is a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd ignite within them an understanding, Lord, of your grace and your mercy, which covers them forever. That their desire would be to simply walk out and work out what you've already worked in. And, Lord, I pray that their lives would bear witness of your glory and of your grace. Stop critics and skeptics right where they stand, right where they speak, that there be no reason to ever point a finger and say that that person walks according to this world system. And I pray, Lord, that we would bring glory and honor to your name through all that we do think and say. As our heads are bowed, I know some of you are running from God. You're a running dead man. You're a running dead woman. Your position is trespasses and sins.
Those who are in Christ, their position is righteousness. You can change your position today by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may have been attending here for years, serving in ministry, but today the word's cut into your heart and you realize that you only have an intellectual understanding of who he is and what he's done. I want to pray that you'll call on Christ today. You've heard the gospel today. You've heard the bad news. You've heard the good news. Call on him today. A mental knowledge of the cross will not cut it. You can pray in your heart. You're talking to him, not talking to me. You say, Lord, I heard your word today. And I understand that my nature is corrupt. And I understand that my nature is contrary to you. And I understand that your standard is perfected holiness. And I can't meet the standard, God. I realize I'm a sinner, according to your word. I realize that my sin will separate me from you forever. And today I'm done running, Lord. Today I'm done rebelling. Today I'm done lending myself to the prince of the power of the air. And I want to step into your family. I want to step into a relationship with you. And I want your grace. I call on you today, Father. And I ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus so that I can change my position today. And that you, Lord, would breathe life into me and change my very nature. I'm done fooling myself and I'm done fooling people, Lord. Come into my heart, take control of my life. I submit myself to your authority, to your leadership today. Father, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer today that they would go home and live it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you minister to their minds, to their hearts. As you already promised to empower them, I pray that they'd lend themselves to that power. I pray that they would give themselves wholeheartedly to you and stop playing in a world that is so hateful of you. We thank you for your grace. God, fill us, empower us, anoint us to do your good and pleasing will for your glory always. And we together as a body of believers say, Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Have a great day. If you accepted Christ today and you want to repent of your sin and you've called on His name, I'll be up here if you want to talk with me. And I can point you to others if there's a whole bunch of you. But glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Work out what He's worked in. Amen? God bless you.